0: Core of the Bible Podcast number 39, Alert and Thankful Prayer That Overcomes Temptation. Welcome to the Core of the Bible Podcast. My name is Steve and I'll be your host as we explore the message of the Bible reduced to its simplest form. As you may know, it's my belief that the core of the Bible consists of the Ten Commandments and the Sermon on the Mount. These central teachings incorporate seven main principles of conduct based on the topics of kingdom, integrity, vigilance, holiness, trust, forgiveness, and compassion. And today, we're going to be exploring the topic of vigilance and how vigilance in alert and thankful prayer is a primary method of overcoming temptation and accomplishing God's will on earth. In Matthew 26, verses 40 and 41, it says this, and he, Yeshua, came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, So could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Yeshua was speaking this to Peter for the specific purpose of admonishing him to stay alert with him while he was praying in Gethsemane. However, this has become a type of universal admonition regarding prayer to avoid temptation, and not without good reason. Praying to avoid temptation was a key teaching within Yeshua's template for prayer. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Based on the original word definitions, this phrase can be expanded and paraphrased as, may we not be led into adversity and hard testing. Nevertheless, rescue us from anguish, harm, and all evil. Praying in this manner is a demonstration of vigilance. When praying to avoid temptation, First of all, there's an awareness of the possibility of impending challenges, and secondly, there's also a recognition of God's ability to provide assistance or escape. The act of praying focuses the mind on the essential needs of the moment, and this is necessary because vigilance also involves alertness and overcoming the distractions and limitations of fleshly influence. While our spirit may be willing Many times we become spiritually disoriented as worldly impulses, whether internal or external, overwhelm us. In Galatians 5, verses 16 and 17, it says, Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh craves what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They're opposed to each other, so that you do not do what you want. Walking in the Spirit includes a rich and abundant prayer life many believers, myself included, struggle to maintain a vital spiritual walk throughout the occurrences of each day. It's easy to push spiritual things into the background while we attempt to deal with the seemingly urgent issues we face each day. Consistently praying helps provide leverage over real fleshly distractions and desires and allows us to truly walk in the Spirit. Yeshua's template, His model prayer for believers, does include the phrase, Lead us not into temptation deliver us from evil. And this has been fertile soil for many commentators over the years to plant seeds for consideration in this question of overcoming temptation. For example, in the Benson commentary, he writes this, it says, And lead us not into temptation. The clause may be translated, lead us not into temptation, but so as to deliver us from the evil, either by removing the temptation when it's too strong for us to withstand, or by mitigating its force, or by increasing our strength to resist it, as God shall see most for His glory. This correction of the translation suggested by McKnight is proposed on this ground, that is, that to pray for absolute freedom from temptation is to seek deliverance from the common lot of humanity, which is absurd, because temptations are wisely appointed by God for the exercise and improvement of piety and virtue in good men, and that others may be encouraged by the constancy and patience which they show in trials. Hence, instead of praying to be absolutely delivered from them, we are taught to rejoice when, by divine appointment, we fall into them. See James 1. And in James it says, Consider it a great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials, because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its full effect, so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. He continues, This petition teaches us to preserve a sense of our own inability to repel and overcome temptation and of the necessity of assistance from above to enable us to stand in the evil day. Well, as for myself, I have sometimes also wondered if God purposely places us in trying situations so that we will learn to reach out to Him more frequently. This type of logic says that if we're in the habit of praying to Him during regular times, Perhaps we will not need to be disciplined in as many trying times. Now the Jameson Fawcett Brown Bible Commentary says this, And lead us not into temptation. There is some difficulty in the form of the petition, as it is certain that God does bring his people, as he did Abraham and Christ himself, into circumstances both fitted and designed to try them or test the strength of their faith. Some meet this by regarding the petition as simply an humble expression of self-distrust and instinctive shrinking from danger, but this seems too weak. Others take it as a prayer against yielding to temptation, and so equivalent to a prayer for support and deliverance when we are tempted, but this seems to go beyond the precise thing intended. We incline to take it as a prayer against being drawn or sucked of our own will into temptation to which the word here used seems to lend some countenance. This view, while it does not put into our mouths a prayer against being tempted, which is more than the divine procedure would seem to warrant, it does not, on the other hand, change the sense of the petition into one for support under temptation, which the words will hardly bear. But it gives us a subject for prayer, in regard to temptation, most definite, and of all others most needful. It was precisely this which Peter needed to ask but did not ask when, of his own accord and in spite of difficulties, he pressed for entrance into the palace hall of the high priest and where, once sucked into this scene an atmosphere of temptation, he fell so foully. And if so, does it not seem pretty clear that this was exactly what our Lord meant his disciples to pray against when he said in the garden, Watch and pray that ye enter not into temptation. Well, and to this, again, I would add that this idea of alertness in prayer means that we are spiritually aware of our situation and not just being carried along by our own desires. This is where we tend to fall into temptation, when we let our circumstances guide us instead of God's good counsel through His Word and His Spirit guiding us. The Jameson Fawcett Brown Bible Commentary continues and says, But deliver us from evil as the expression from evil may be equally well rendered from the evil one a number or superior critics think the devil is intended especially from its following close upon the subject of temptation but the comprehensive character of these brief petitions and the place which this one occupies as that on which all our desires die away seems to us against so contracted a view of it nor can there be a reasonable doubt that the apostle in some of the last sentences which he penned before he was brought forth to suffer for his lord alludes to this very petition in the language of calm assurance quote and the lord shall deliver me from every evil work compare the greek of the two passages and it will preserve me unto his heavenly kingdom in that second timothy 4 chapter or verse 18 the final petition then is only rightly grasped when regarded as a prayer for deliverance from all evil of whatever kind not only from sin but from all its consequences, fully and finally. Fitly, then, are our prayers ended with this. For what can we desire which this does not carry with it? Now, Vincent's word studies look at it from this perspective, and it says, It's a mistake to define this word, temptation, as only solicitation to evil. It means trial of any kind, without reference to its moral quality. Thus, in Genesis 22.1, in the Septuagint, it says, God did tempt Abraham. This he said to prove him in John 6, 6. Paul and Timothy essayed to go into Bithynia, Acts 16, 7. Examine yourselves, 2 Corinthians 13, 5. Here, generally of all situations and circumstances which furnish an occasion for sin, we cannot pray God not to tempt us to sin, for God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. And that's James 1, 13. So to my way of thinking, while Keeping an eye to the perspectives of these learned commentators, the thought here is that it is acceptable for us to pray to be kept from hard testing and temptation. Yeshua himself illustrated this prayer in Gethsemane when he said in Luke 22, Then he withdrew from them about a stone's throw, knelt down and began to pray and said, Father, if you're willing, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. As children of God, though we may need to suffer trials and temptations, things that God can use to try us and refine us, we can still pray to be delivered safely through them. It's okay to pray, Lord, if it's possible to avoid this trial, then please remove it from us. But if we must enter this trial, please strengthen us to remain pure and victorious over it. In Colossians 4.2, it says, Devote yourselves to prayer with an alert mind and a thankful heart. I find it interesting that prayer is meant to be an activity in which our conscious awareness is alert and watchful. This implies that prayer is purposeful and intentional and not just something in which our rational thought is disengaged. In fact, it's just the opposite. As we can see in this selection of scripture references, believers are encouraged to pray for very specific things at specific times. In the Tanakh or the Old Testament, for example, we see in Numbers 21, it says, The people came to Moses and said, We've sinned because we've spoken against Yahweh and against you. Pray to Yahweh that he take away the serpents from us. And Moses prayed for the people. We can see that's a very specific prayer for the serpents to be taken away. In Jeremiah 42 it says, Then all the commanders of the armies, along with Johanan, son of Kareah and Jezaniah, son of Hoshea, and all the people from the least to the greatest, approached the prophet Jeremiah and said, May our petition come before you, pray to the Lord your God on our behalf on behalf of this entire remnant, for few of us remain out of the many, as you can see with your own eyes, that the Lord your God may tell us the way we should go and the thing that we should do. This, of course, is very similar to a prayer that many of us pray. It's like, Lord, just show me what to do. But in this case, they were asking for direction whether or not they should return to Jerusalem or if they should stay in Babylon since that's where they had been taken captive of course, the answer came back from God that they should stay in Babylon and be good to the king of Babylon because he was going to take care of them until they were restored to the land. Here are some other examples of specific prayer. Uh, Yeshua himself prayed for very specific things and encouraged us to do so. In Matthew 5, he says, But I tell you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who mistreat you and persecute you. That's a very specific type of prayer. Matthew 6, he says, Pray like this. And then he goes into the Lord's Prayer. So he very specifically says, this is how you should pray. And it's intentional. Matthew 9, he says, Pray therefore that the Lord of the harvest will send out laborers into his harvest. Encourage disciples to pray for missionary efforts to take place within his people. In Matthew 24, he says, Pray that your flight will not be in the winter nor on the Sabbath. And that was... To avoid the destruction of Jerusalem. Pray to God that that's not going to happen in the winter when it's hard to travel. In Mark 13, he says, Watch, keep alert, and pray, for you don't know when the time is. Again, reminding them to be alert when the time of the end of Jerusalem would come. In John 17, 15, he says, I pray not that you would take them from the world, that is, the disciples or believers, but that you would keep them from the evil one or from evil. Again, He's praying specifically for them to be kept from evil. We can also see this evident with the apostles in 2 Corinthians 13. It says, For we rejoice when we are weak and you are strong, and this we also pray for, even your perfecting. So the apostles here were praying for the perfection or the perfecting, the continued growth of the disciples. Philippians 1, it says, This I pray that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and all discernment, so there's a prayer for wisdom and understanding. Second Thessalonians 1, To this end we also pray for you, that our God may count you worthy of your calling and fulfill every desire of goodness and work of faith with power. Second Thessalonians 3, Finally, brothers, pray for us, that the word of the Lord may spread rapidly and be glorified, even as also with you. Again, another prayer for the specific growth of God's word. James 5, Is any among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the assembly and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Prayer for healing. So, throughout the Bible, prayer is exemplified as being enacted for intentional and specific purposes, and most importantly, for the will of God to be accomplished on the earth. This strikes at the heart of the all too common practice of only praying for personal needs and wants. While God does want us to trust Him for everything, in the grand scheme of the Bible message, ultimately, our personal needs and wants are and should be subjected to the larger scope of God's kingdom and the establishment of his rule and reign in the hearts of people on this earth. Remember in our Colossians passage, Paul encourages believers to pray with an alert mind, as we've just illustrated, but also with a thankful heart. Colossians 4.2, it said, devote yourselves to prayer with an alert mind and a thankful heart. Having a thankful heart means that one is in view of all the ways that God has blessed them. If you're thankful for the provision of your home, you won't be tempted to go into further debt for a shiny new one beyond your means. If you're thankful for the nutritious food that God has provided you for your sustenance, you're not going to be tempted to eat beyond what your body needs. If you're grateful for the friends and family you have, you won't be tempted to go astray from your spouse or to put your family or friends at risk. And thankfulness runs all through Paul's epistle to the Colossians. In Colossians 1, he says, For this reason also, since the day we heard this, we haven't stopped praying for you. We're asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom in all spiritual understanding, giving thanks to the Father, who has enabled you to share in the saints' inheritance in the light. In Colossians 2, he says, So then, just as you have received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him, being rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught and overflowing with gratitude or thankfulness. In Colossians 3, he says, And let the peace of Christ, to which you were also called in one body, rule in your hearts, and be thankful. And whatever you do, in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Constant prayer and giving of thanks is a theme Paul also brings to the congregation in Thessalonica as well. In fact, he cements this as a cornerstone of believing practice in the accomplishment of God's will. In 1 Thessalonians 5, he says, Pray constantly, give thanks in everything, for this is God's will for you in Messiah Yeshua. So if we're therefore praying in an alert fashion, that is, being aware of what we're praying and why we are praying, and we're doing so from a place of gratefulness and thankfulness for his provision in our lives, then we have a recipe for overcoming temptation. This takes discipline and thoughtfulness. But by intentionally praying for God to assist us when we're being challenged, this type of behavior can be changed. The victory over a trial or temptation is through prayer and the strengthening of God through his Holy Spirit. How quickly it happens depends on how alert we remain and how diligent and thankful we are in prayer. So as we grow in this process, remaining steadfast in prayer to God keeps us focused and in communication with the one who is more than able to provide us the necessary strength to overcome any obstacles we may encounter. Well, once again, I hope I've been able to provide you some ideas and concepts to meditate on further. If you enjoyed this week's podcast, be sure to visit coreofthebible.org to join the conversation through comments or reading daily blog posts on these topics. The Core of the Bible is all about the message of the Bible reduced to its simplest form, that is, the principles of the Ten Commandments and the Sermon on the Mount. Do you have questions about today's topic or comments or insights you'd like to share? Perhaps you found this podcast helpful or encouraging. If so, I would love to hear from you and include listener comments in future episodes. So feel free to email me at coraofthebible at gmail.com. Thanks for your interest in listening today. As always, I hope to be invited back into your headphones in another episode to come. Take care.